So we're going to continue with the uh, First Peter Countercultural Living. Derek has done an excellent job of setting this up these past two weeks, leading us into uh, First Peter here. You know, the context, as he has said, is all about suffering and the suffering they're experiencing. And this is the days leading up to the great persecution under Nero. These are the days. So Nero has not started his kind of his onslaught against the Christian community, but we're almost there. And there's some stuff that is going on. So we're going to talk about how we can counter suffering today. Is there something that we can actually do about the suffering that we're experiencing? So we're just going to kind of get into that. But first, let me say, maybe you all saw the headlines recently about the gentleman down in Australia. True story. Um, he took his ex-wife to court, wanted uh, you know, to sue her to get her to take a bumper sticker off of his car, and the judge actually ruled against him and fined him for taking her to court. And the bumper sticker that his ex-wife had on the back of the car said, Men are idiots. I divorced the king. And uh, he, didn't, he, he didn't like that. And, uh, but anyway, so there you go. He's suffering even more for that. He, the judge made him pay a huge fine. So uh, anyway, let's continue on. So uh, when it comes to suffering, we should not be surprised at the suffering that we experience in this world. Jesus Christ said that in this world you will have trouble, and boy, he was not joking around, was he? And we go through all kinds of problem and pains in this world. And you might say, yeah, but you know, John, compared to my neighbor or compared to the people in other parts of this great big world, I'm really not suffering at all. We just got back from Tecate, Mexico. And we saw people living in all kinds of extreme conditions and poverty situations that are down there. And by the way, just I'll add this two cents here. Um, the team from Grace, I think there was a total of 18 of us all together. We had an absolutely fantastic time. And they represented you guys, the family here from Grace, so very well. Uh, they, uh, the school that we built for on top of this little mountain honored Grace Community Church and all the work that we've done there, we just built a cafeteria for them on this trip down. We taught them to knit. I say we loosely. I didn't teach anybody how to knit. Somebody taught them to knit, and it was not me. Before we left, they'd actually, one of the ladies had actually made a hat, a knit hat for their child, and we did a, like a vacation Bible school. And it was just a really, really great time, and God did some very special things. You know, we went down to help to serve them and actually, it turned out that it seemed like they served us even more because God did some special things in everybody's heart that was down there. So if you're ever interested in a mission trip, you should talk to Josh. It was a fantastic time. So we see the suffering in the world. We say, you know what? You know, my life compared to other people's lives, there's not a lot of suffering going on in my life. But we all experience suffering. There's not a single person in this room that we don't experience suffering, right? Because we all have to go through conflict, and conflict is a piece of suffering. Every single one of us goes through that. We all get sick, and that's a piece of suffering. Every single one of us is going to die, right? I mean, did you know somebody that hasn't died, except for Jesus, but he died and he rose again. But you know what I'm saying, okay? So all of us, all of us experience suffering. We're all in this great big boat. And the thing is, is what can we do about that? Is there something that we can counter since suffering hits us so often? Is there anything that we can do to counter the suffering in our lives? Peter says in 1 Peter 4.12, he says, Don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's to be anticipated that we go through all this suffering. 
Uh, how were they suffering? Well, let me give you a piece, because we know what happened to them under Nero, and we know that you know, all the slaughter and the persecution. But what was happening right now is Peter's writing this. So here's what was going on in their lives. They were losing their homes, some of them, not all of them, for being Christians, for their stand, for their faith in Jesus Christ. Some, not all, were losing their homes. In the marketplace, they were being cheated. They were being shoved and pushed and kicked and called names and all that kind of stuff. So here's the thing. How does that affect you? So if somebody calls you a name or mistreats you or you have some kind of injustice against you, how does that impact you on the inside? What does it do to you? It makes you feel rejected. It makes you feel humiliated. It lowers your self-esteem, so to speak, because on your insides, you're taking a real shot. And Peter knows that, and so he speaks directly to the situation in the second chapter. And what does he say? Well, he starts off by talking about Jesus Christ. And he says this to them, and 1 Peter 2, 4, he says, Jesus Christ was rejected by men, but he was chosen by God. And then he starts talking about them, and he starts talking about us. And what does he say? He says, but you are a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. My question is, how about you? How are you suffering today? How are you suffering today? And how is that impacting you? What is it doing to your insides? Do you feel rejected or humiliated over a situation that you're going through? Maybe an interaction that you're having with a parent or a friend or a coworker or a boss or a spouse. And how is that impacting you? Do you feel good about your life? Do you feel good about your situation because of the suffering you're experiencing? Or do you feel humiliated? And is your self-esteem taking a shot as a result of that? Are you suffering at work? Are you suffering with your health? Are you suffering spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally? How is your marriage going? How is your dating life going? How does that make you feel? And what is the impact upon your life? And can anything be done about it? Can you counter it? And in that context here, we see Peter write us these words as we begin chapter 2. Let's pray and let's read them. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, in this world of suffering, that today that you would give us some concrete things that we can do and hang on to to counter the suffering that goes on all around us in this world. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. First Peter 2, verses 1 and 2. Now, the very first word is therefore. And I, I need to stop right on that word because the word therefore is a connecting word. It connects what's getting ready to happen here in the next few verses to everything that's just been said. So this is really critically important. So what's just been said? What's just been said is that there's a world of suffering going on, all kinds of problems. You and I experience, they're experiencing, we have suffering, all right? And the other thing that's been said is that God's word is powerful. This is God's word, like never is going to die and is going to endure forever. So it's all about suffering and then the power of God's word. In that context, here we go. Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. God's word. What's being said here all the way up to this point and then here as we begin chapter 2 is that God's word is absolutely powerful. Why? Because it gives us confidence. We'll see that as we move through chapter 2. It gives us confidence. It raises our self-esteem. It gives us wisdom. 
It gives us direction. It sets us free. It brings us answers. God's word does so many things. I listed a bunch on that blue bulletin that you have. This gave a whole smattering of different things, and there's a whole lot more. The longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's all about God's word and how powerful it is in our lives. But it's a source of salvation, 2 Timothy 3.15. It's powerful. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, it's like a hammer. It's like a fire. 1 Peter 1.25, it stands forever. It is, it saves us. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power unto salvation. It grows our faith in Romans 10.17. It is a sword. It is a weapon, the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6.17. It makes us genuinely successful in Joshua 1.8. It sanctifies us. It's food for our souls. It gives us hope. It lights our path. Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 20 that God's word is like a fire that shut up in our bones and it attacks the things in our lives that come against us like suffering. That's how powerful God's word is. On a personal level, anytime that I've struggled with discouragement or depression or feeling hopeless and I really get into God's word, I really begin to pour myself, I make it a priority in my life. It seems like the power of God's word begins to go to work. And all of a sudden, I start feeling more hopeful. I begin to lose those demons that haunt me through the power of God's word. It's like a fire that begins to well up within me. So what can we do that will cause us to get into God's word? Because, you know, even though we have God's word that is so powerful, the Bible Not always are we excited about it. What we see here is that Peter gives us three things as he begins chapter 2 that we should ask God for, that we should pray for, that will help us to experience all the power of his word. So here's the first thing. Number one, you want to ask God to deliver you from junk food. Ask God to deliver you from junk food. We're talking about God's word being like pure spiritual milk this morning there's a whole food theme going on so if you love food this is your day all right ask god to deliver you from junk food have you ever noticed that when you get into a habit of eating junk food that you lose an appetite for good food have you ever noticed that when you eat too many big macs and Krispy Kreme donuts that all of a sudden you lose an appetite for vegetables and fruit but what happens is, is the more junk food we eat, the less we feel inclined to want to eat good food. It's a natural thing that goes on within our bodies. So when we crave that stuff too much, we turn away from the good food. So he gives us a short junk food list. There's a whole lot more on the junk food list, but he gives us just a couple things to think about. And the first one he says is malice. You know what malice means in this context here? It means somebody who's a troublemaker. In other words, you want to make trouble for other people. Now, I know you're not a troublemaker, but does anybody know a troublemaker? Anybody know a troublemaker? We only got three or four people. No trouble. Well, you need to come and stop by the office. And I'll show you pictures and give you names and addresses if you want to know troublemakers. Deceit. Get rid of the deceit. It's a junk food. It means just simply to be dishonest. Hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy in this context means to be spiritually pretentious, like a snob. Does anybody know a spiritual snob? Man, you all got to get out more often. You got to... My goodness, envy. You resent it when other people are successful. Slander, that's gossip. You like to talk, and you don't do it in a malicious way. You do it in a very sophisticated way, but you like to talk about other people. And instead, where the Bible says that we should go directly to that person to talk about whatever it might be, 
we don't enjoy that, and we like to go to other people and talk. So that's what slander. It means gossip. And when, when we get off of those things and we get off of junk food, all of a sudden our appetite for the good food of God's word begins to return. It's almost like magic. And this is exactly what Peter is saying. Get off. So simply this. The first thing you do, say, hey, God, could you help to deliver me from junk food? Second thing, ask God to give you an intense hunger for his word. Ask God to give you an intense hunger for his word. So Peter says here, like newborn babies. And that phrase there actually in the Greek means this, a baby who is born just now. In other words, this baby has just emerged. Brand spanking new has been born every bit of one second. This baby has just emerged. And what does that baby want? He is craving the milk. What do babies want the moment they come out? When the context 2,000 years ago, everybody thought, oh my goodness, the baby is screaming because the baby wants to eat right away. If you've ever seen a child born, I have twice. When my son was born, the moment he came out, he was screaming. He's been screaming ever since for 17 years. Kid's been, he's been screaming. We went down to the nursery and here's, there was like 20 kids in the nursery when he was like a whole baby boom when he was born. It's like 20 kids in the nursery and there's one kid in there screaming his head off. Parents are walking by, they're looking at their kid, you know, and they're sleeping so nicely. And then they're like, oh my, what, why is that one kid over there screaming so much? That's our boy. And, um, he must be hungry. People would say all the time, feed him. We're like, shut up. He's not hungry. Feed him every 15 minutes. But it was thought 2,000 years ago, it's thought 2,000 years ago that the number one need and the number one desire, and this is why Peter's writing this way, is that the baby has to eat. He's got to eat. And the same way what Peter is saying is we should have that same drive and desire to feed on God's word. Do we have it? And maybe it's simple as this, was we ask God to give it to us. I mean, could the answer to this whole equation, right? If the power of God works in my life and it attacks suffering, it attacks the stuff in my life, I just need to have more of a hunger out of God's word. And I tell you the truth, I don't have that all the time me personally. And could it be as simple as this, that I just asked God to give it to me? Could it be that simple? So we need to have that kind of hunger. Now, let me see if I can do a better job of illustrating this hunger for God's word. All right. Coffee drinkers. You know how you feel when you wake up in the morning? Huh? You know how you feel about coffee when you wake up in the morning? My mother-in-law spent the night at our house last night and I heard her, she got up early this morning and she called Big Russ and she said, I need you to come over and, and pick me up. And then she says, and bring coffee. And you could just, it wasn't hard to recognize the desperation in her voice. So, I mean, got to have that coffee. Lord, help us if she did not get that coffee. It was going to get ugly around the house if she didn't get that coffee. Coffee wasn't, maybe I need some coffee. You better get me some coffee. Do you understand the difference? Do you all understand the difference? So here, maybe it's as simple as this, everybody. You coffee drinkers, you get up in the morning, you got that cup of coffee. Maybe you simply need to hold that cup of coffee up before God and say, Lord, help me to hunger for your word more than I hunger for this cup of coffee. Man, we might have a revival that would break out amongst us. I mean, it'd be absolutely phenomenal what could happen if we began to hunger for God's word more than we hunger for that coffee. Does that make sense? Right? 
There was a movie years ago. I think it was called Cold Turkey. It was about a town. It's like 30, 40 years back. A whole town went cold turkey on smoking cigarettes. And for some of you who are still struggling with nicotine, you know, so this whole town goes cold turkey on cigarettes. And the whole town is angry and they're frustrated and they're mad and this kind of stuff. And one of the scenes I'll never forget in this movie, it was a school teacher and she's in her classroom and she's frustrated and she's yelling and screaming at the kids. She's got this, she's got this chalk in her hand. She's writing this big piece of white chalk. And finally she just takes the chalk and she says, takes a big drag off of it. So, the, what, I'll never forget that scene. I don't know if it helps you, but it helps me right now. Uh, that hunger. God, give me an intense, an intense hunger for your word. God's word is powerful, all right? And it counters, it attacks suffering in our lives. And maybe it's as simple as God, deliver me from junk food, number one. And number two, give me an intense hunger for your word. All right, last one is this. Ask God to make you spiritually discontent. Ask God to make you spiritually discontent. He says this. He says, so that you may, quote, grow up in your salvation. Grow up. In the Greek, those words strongly imply this. It implies a strong discontentment for where you currently stand. Do you feel that way? I mean, spiritually speaking, do you feel, are you okay? Apathy is your enemy. Spiritual apathy is your enemy here. So you have to have a spiritual discontentment. And you go to God and say, God, make me spiritually discontent for where I stand right now. Now, Paul illustrates that so very well when he writes these words in Philippians chapter 3. This is what he says. And concerning Paul, Paul, this guy who theologians call the greatest Christian who ever walked the face of this earth, this is what he writes in Philippians 3, 13 and 14. I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. Have taken hold of what? Spiritual maturity. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind me, I'm straining toward what is ahead. I'm pressing on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. What's Paul saying? I'm totally dissatisfied. I'm totally spiritually discontent. I want more of God. I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not going to become apathetic. And maybe it's as simple as that. God, make me spiritually discontent. So when we pray for these things, we pray for God to deliver us from junk food and to give us this intense hunger for his word and to make us spiritually discontent. God's word begins to work, countering all the darkness that we face in this world and in this life. So when we end here, in a few moments, we're going to have communion. And the prayer team's going to be against the, our prayer wall right over here. Now, I already emailed them this week, and I said, you know what? Anybody who comes over to the wall today, could you pray these three things over them? Ask God to deliver me from junk food. Ask God to make me spiritually disinclined. Ask God to give me intense hunger. So they're all armed and ready to go to pray that prayer for you if you'd like to stop by the wall this morning after you take communion. So I want you to know that. Where does all this end? I want to read to you the end of 1 Peter, chapter 5. Only five chapters here in 1 Peter. And this is how he ends the, you know, the letter. And I, I think it's quite amazing because here's where we go. In a world of suffering, you and I experience, we all suffer in some way, and we're taking hits. We're taking hits on our self-esteem and our confidence. We're in confusion. We don't know, you know, we're hopeless and helpless. All these things that we face when we go through suffering. So what then happens as we get into God's word? So this is what he, this is what Peter writes and the grace and the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ. After you had suffered a little while, will himself and here we've got four things, bam, 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 will himself restore you, 
make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. God will restore you. Get into God's word. God will restore you. Here's the thing, everybody. We go through suffering, whatever you're suffering, whatever it might be, however big it is or small it is, whatever it is, it's suffering to you. We go through suffering. We feel dinged up. We're like a car at the junkyard. We're rusted out. We feel dented. And that's the way we feel on the inside because of all that we've experienced. We have a picture. If you put a picture in your head today and you're in the midst of suffering or whatever, sometimes this is exactly how you feel. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying that God is the great restorer. God's the one that comes along in our lives and knows how to restore cars. He knows how to get rid of all the rust and all the dents and make you shiny and new. God will do that to your insides. It says that next thing is that God will make us strong. When we go through suffering, man, there's just a weakness that comes over us. We feel weak from the suffering, don't we? And so what the Bible is telling us is God's word is going to make us strong. It says it'll make us steadfast. I can think about times when I've gone through suffering and I feel like my knees are knocking together because of what I've experienced or what I'm in the middle of. And all it's saying here is that God will make me steady and he'll make me strong and he'll make me solid. If you feel rejected today because of what you are going through and the stuff, suffering you've experienced, you've got to listen to what God is saying to you in the second chapter here where he says you are a chosen people you're a royal priesthood maybe you've been rejected by men but you have been chosen by god i want to end with one final story been chosen by god we uh i don't even know the name of this book i i can't i I can't recall it but when our kids were young we would read this book and they loved this book and we would read it many nights we'd read them this book and there's a line in this book and it's all about kids and how much we love them and blah 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 and you get to the end of this book and there was this line and it said of all the kids in the world we would always choose you and we read our kids that book and we would say to our kids jonathan and gracie we want you to know jonathan and gracie that of all the kids in the world well you know this person can do this better dad or This person can do this better, Mom. Or they have this, and I don't have it, and they're better than me. We'd say, Jonathan and Gracie, we want you to know this. Of all the kids in the world, your mom and dad would always choose you. This is what God is saying to you this morning. Some of us are hurting here this morning. We're hurting about a relationship we're in. We're hurting over some situation that we're facing. And you need to hear this from God this morning. We're about ready to take communion. And Jesus Christ suffered deeply for us because he wants us to know one thing. We will walk out here with one thing today. Of all the people in the world, God wants to know he would always choose you to be on his team. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. Maybe you've been rejected by a person, but you never have been rejected by God. I'm going to ask those who are going to help us serve communion if you'll Go ahead and take your places and for the music team to come up and prepare. We have a brief description in the bulletin about how we uh, celebrate uh, communion, but basically it's this. You'll see that our team will go to a number of different locations, five different locations. You'll take a piece of bread. You'll simply dip it in the cup, 
theologically speaking, that's called intinction, in case you wanted to know. You'll dip into the cup, you'll step to the t- side, and you'll consume. And we'll say a prayer uh, here now over it. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, we are told this. He took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said this. This is my body that was broken for you. I'm going to be broken for you and rejected for you so that you'll never be rejected by God. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. It's my blood. I'm going to give my life for your life because I love you that much. He said, take and drink this cup. Drink all of it. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you remember, you remember how much God loves you. So let's pray that God would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup. I encourage you to pray about those three things and to listen closely to maybe hearing the whisper of God's voice this morning where God is saying, of all the people in the world, I would always choose you. And I encourage you during communion, maybe you're done communion, maybe you want to step right over to the wall and have a prayer team member pray with you those three things. God loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word because it is so powerful in Jesus Christ for what you have done for every single one of us in this room today. Lord, I pray that you would bless as each person takes this bread and eats it and dips it in the cup and eats it. God, I pray that your love and the whisper of your voice that you choose us, that we would hear that. We would examine our hearts, Father, and we would say, God, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever is needed, I pray that you would clear those things out of our past so that we might be completely right with you, accepting your mercy and your grace. Father, bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory. In Christ's holy name, amen.